one of the most stressful things in the world is planning a wedding. I'll never forget when me and my wife were planning our wedding, just how stressful it was, all the moving pieces that you have going on. The good news is now there's a solution. OurStressFreeWedding.com is the best place to find your vendors to organize all your thoughts. Visit OurStressFreeWedding.com to see how they can help you for your big day. Today, more than ever, players, coaches, trainers, and everyone in between are looking for great ways to showcase their talent, their camp, their program. That's where my friends at Era Sports come in. Era Sports is a content creation company that works with high school, college, and pro athletes to create the best media on the market. If you want to showcase your talent through photo, video, or graphic design, call Era today. Era Sports, we are at the game. What up? I'm Zach Goodwin, and this is Hoop Scoop, the podcast that explores the life and hoops journey of players, coaches, and influential people all throughout the sport. Get the scoop on all things hoop here on Hoop Scoop. How we doing? I'm Zach Goodwin, and this is Hoop Scoop. Another fantastic one for you. What's new? Rinse and repeat over here. That's all we do. Todd Koontz, Coach Koontz, coach at Dunkerton High School in Dunkerton, Iowa. Fantastic story. Really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, a lot more than I enjoy playing against him, as you'll hear in the podcast. Uh, but that's high school sports, right? It's cyclical. We talk about that in the podcast as well. Listen to it. You're going to enjoy it. Before we do, I want to hop into something with you, just like always. This one's not going to be quite as fun as Big Ten predictions and uh, talking Nebraska Cornhuskers and how I just can't figure them out. Let me start here. Ime Odoka, and I could be pronouncing that wrong. I butcher his last name every time. I do apologize. Celtics head coach, Celtics basketball head coach. Came out, I first read it from Bleacher Report. I did some more digging and found, and it was on every show in America, that he had an affair. An affair is a fair term because she was married and he was engaged. But we're not even getting into that. Their personal lives are a wreck. That he had a relationship inside the organization with a Celtics employee. He was suspended a year. Everyone lost their minds. It came out a day or so later from the Celtics that he also made an unwanted pass, sexual pass, at a female employee inside the organization. Nevertheless, whenever it happened, the Celtics held their investigation, They finished their investigation, they determined inside their code of conduct policy that he was suspended for one year. That was the punishment for this, in their instance, crime. Not a true crime, but a crime in their workplace, right? Not too long ago, Suns owner, Robert Sarver, he's also the owner of the Phoenix Mercury, the WNBA team in Phoenix, was suspended by the NBA for a year. I'll read this from Fox News for you. Sarver for was suspended after the league's investigation found he made several racist and sexual remarks over the course of his ownership. Sarver said last week he would begin the process of buy, seeking buyers. This is after his uh, after his punishment was handed down and players went just crazy. For the Suns and the WNBA Phoenix Mercury, the NBA said that in an investigation, they found that Sarver used the N-word at least five times and made many sexual-related comments in the workplace. Now, I don't know about you, but I have kids. I coach high school basketball. I'm involved in my community. My kids have friends. They come around. I'm around, you know, the high schoolers that I coach. 
And I have quite a few standards that I hold each of those individuals to. And those are made very clear to those individuals. Not only do I hold them to standards, but I also let them know if you're not at this standard, this will be the punishment of not being at this standard. When you do things in life, there are consequences and it makes it very, very, very easy to know if it's worth doing that thing or not by how hard the consequence is. For example, if you have kids, this will be an easy one for you. If you are on the phone and your kid comes running up and they're trying to talk to you and they want something to eat and they want to know if they can have a friend over and they're in your ear and you're on the phone, they know, or they should at least, that the consequence of doing that is when I get off the phone, I'm going to say, hey, what are you yelling at me for? I'm on the phone, blah, 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 blah. Just let them have it. They won't be grounded. I won't take all their stuff from them. They're not going to be in a ton of trouble, but they will get an earful from me because when you're on the phone, you should be on the phone, right? Someone should not be interrupting your conversation. Tell me why the Boston Celtics have the exact same punishment for a relationship in the workplace, which let me clarify by saying I do not agree with. It wasn't a fair. That is wrong, but it happens in America every day. Let's not be naive that it doesn't. That doesn't make it right. Not even kind of, but it happens every day. And one, a reported one unwanted sexual pass in the workplace, which again is unbelievably wrong, but HR departments all over America deal with this every single day. Robert Sarva, on the other hand, is not only doing the same thing that Emi, uh, that the, uh, I apologize, Emi Odoka did. He's did it multiple times and throw on top of their racism. Now, in a league that has end racism, it takes all of us written, written down and on warm-ups and all over the place. And the NFL has backed this as well. You would think, you would think that they would immediately make him sell the team. They would immediately make him step away. There would not be a one-year suspension for an individual who did something significantly worse than the Celtics head basketball coach. Now, I do not want to diminish what, what Ime Odoka did. What he did was wrong. It was wrong to the people involved as far as his affair. But that's not the Celtics' issue. If you go out and have an affair, you're not going to get fired at your job. That is a you problem. But he made one unsexual pass, and he brought his issues into the workplace and the Celtics said we are done as they should good for them props but the NBA had the same punishment I take this back to my kids shouldn't it be pretty obvious if my kids do one thing this is the punishment if they do another thing this is the punishment in a league that is predominantly black why on earth would you accept any type of racist comments and not immediately make that individual leave the league? You're telling your players that, hey, we will spend marketing dollars and we will say on television that we back you. But really, behind closed doors, our owners mean more than you do. And that, my friends, is a product that no one can get behind. Now, while I still watch the NBA because I am a hoops junkie, I sure am. But for those who are not hoops junkies, they will write off the NBA, just like those who do not love the NFL 
wrote off the NFL when there was kneeling. When people started kneeling and individuals started saying, you are against our military and you are against our flag, and other individuals started saying, no, no, they're doing the right thing, there were people who wrote the NFL off. No, I'm not taking a side on that. I am saying that that's what happened. That's what's going to happen here. You're going to lose viewers over your punishment of son's owner. There has to start being a standard in our professional leagues. If I can do it at home with my kids, with my three-year-old, with my nine-year-old, surely, surely a pro sports league can do it with 75-year-old owners who don't know how to treat individuals equally, who don't know how to say the right things, who don't know how to keep their mouth shut, who don't know how to not bring their issues and, and views into the workplace and offend hundreds of thousands of people in a league that is predominantly black. The sexual advancements alone should have been enough. Multiple of them. Again, Celtics head basketball coach, there was reported, I read multiple, multiple reports, because let me tell you something. I am a podcaster. I am not Adam Schefter. I am not Woj. I'm not out here breaking stories. I did not want to be the first one on this. I did not want to be one of the first people you heard on this. I wanted to be right. I wanted to have all the information. And from everything that I've read and everything that I've listened to, he made one unwanted pass at an individual. The other pass that he made seemed to be wanted because they had a year-long relationship. And he was suspended for a year as he should have been. Son's owner does that times 10 and throw on top of there that just from what they found, not what's happened behind closed doors, just from what they found, he used the N-word five times on the record. And they gave him a year suspension. You have to take bigger stances on this. If I can preach it to high school kids that you need an identity, that you have to have morals, that you have to understand consequences for your actions, then surely, Adam Silver, you can have a standard in the NBA that says, owners, I understand that you're billionaires. I understand that you're wealthy. I understand that you're important in our, in our structure of our economy, that you are a very powerful man. But if you do this list of things, there will be no there will be no conversation. You will be out of our league. And with that, I want to calm myself down, and I want to get you rolling here with Coach Coots, Todd Coots, head boys basketball coach at Dunkerton High School in Dunkerton, Iowa. Listen to his story, uh, how he got to where he is now, going through his alma mater, his young days of playing, and what that was like for him. Really interesting. I think you're going to love this one. Here we go. Okay, so you grew up where? I grew up in Waterloo. Um, I attended uh, what was at the time known as Walnut Ridge, um, which is now Waterloo Christian School. So people in the Cedar Valley obviously know it's been around for a long time with Columbus and Don Bosco, you know, one of the three private schools in the area. And I guess now Valley Lutheran is part of that. But, uh, you know, when I went there, it was a little bit bigger than it is now. I think I graduated in a class of Oh, 37, 38, you know, so about your standard size, you know, a little bit above average 1A school, maybe. Absolutely. What was your first memory of hoops in Waterloo, Iowa? <laughs> um, probably playing in my driveway. Um, I remember my uh, 
we had a hoop uh, on not on the side but on top of the garage on top of the the gutter <laughs> off the shingles and uh, we had a slope driveway so if you shot by the hoop it was about eight and a half feet but my dad swears once he got down to 15 or 20 feet it was like shooting on a 10-foot hoop so um you know i know i loved uh I loved shooting hoops growing up and I had a little hoop in my basement uh, that was six feet tall and uh, had the full stand and stood up and would just shoot and shoot and pretend that I was playing games downstairs. And, you know, I was never the greatest basketball player, but I loved it and was just a, kind of a sports nut and, you know, grew up playing. Um, but more importantly, I grew up just loving the game, you know, watching every bit of March Madness, every bit of the NBA, you know, I, I loved Shaq I still remember when they won the uh <laughs> when the Magic won the lottery the second year and I thought they were gonna get Chris Webber to go with him and then you know trading for Penny Hardaway and I think I almost cried and <laughs> um all that being said I quickly after that became a Timberwolves fan and I'm a Timberwolves fan to this day so I'm really excited about this year but uh um no I just I just love basketball and I I've always been a numbers guy so I love stats and you know I was always looking at people's scoring averages and uh, sometimes there was even a couple times I said there was like a yellow legal pad and took like Shaq stats when the game was on like NBC <laughs> on like a Sunday afternoon and <laughs> um and I'm also I'm also pretty sure I was one of the youngest running a NCAA tournament pool and uh I remember in junior high I, <laughs> I got a bunch of kids to fill it out and they had no idea what they were doing and I told them I'd give a candy bar to the winner just because they weren't I wasn't allowed to take a bet there you know but <laughs> um because I remember the principal actually asking me where I was getting the candy bar from and stuff but uh no I just you know I was just I was just kind of a hoops nut and you know, unlike probably a lot of coaches, a lot of coaches, their their first love was playing the game. I think probably my first love was was watching, observing, and just um, you know knowing about the game. I think. Right. When you talk about the hoop outside, it. Uh, so I had. I'm from. I'm from Indiana, a small town called Elizabeth, Indiana. We had a hoop on a barn, and we had a gravel driveway that like, came down a hill. So when Perfect. you shot from like the rot from the right corner, you were like two feet higher than when you shot from the left corner. Uh, <laughs> and if you were in the right corner and you missed and you missed long, your ball went down in the woods and you had to go chase it down a hill. So <laughs> you, <laughs> you never missed long from the right. No, corner, so. no. <laughs> um, so as you, as you get into school and stuff, are you playing basketball? Are you doing youth stuff? Um, what's that like for you as you start to yeah. kind of get in elementary and junior high? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I played I played all the time. I mean, back then, obviously, the AAU scene wasn't as prevalent as it is today. You know, um, I graduated in in, uh, in 2001 from high school. So, you know, it's been 20 years now. And, you know, we uh, we played a lot. I played, you know, Optimist in Waterloo and I played, um, you know, YMCA ball and I played all these, you know, local local leagues never traveled a whole lot but grew to love it and uh you know played junior high when when i was able to start doing that for our our high school our school team and then played in high school throughout the four years and was never a a star by any means but we had a pretty solid team and you know i was the three and d guy without the d so (laughs) i was the (laughs) i was the stand in the corner and shoot threes before it was uh, a popular i think my game would have translated better now than it did back then because uh teams weren't shooting 25 threes a game back then but uh i do remember one jv game attempting 14 three-pointers which at the time was pretty rare so but again that was a jv game so (laughs) but uh Um, that was that was kind of you know my dad always called me the zone buster you know so i i had i had a role on our team um but again, I, it was a 
it was a love for the game. I understood the game. I knew the game, but I was never the most talented player in the gym by any means. No, when did basketball start to become at, at what age did you kind of hit, you know, junior high, high school and you were, you were like, you know, this is kind of, this is kind of my thing to your point. Maybe I'm not the best player, but I know it better than a lot of guys. Like this is, this is my thing. When did that click for you? I think, I think honestly, even in like sixth grade, I kind of felt that way. I remember I was the, uh, back then our junior high girls were done at Christmas and then we started after Christmas. And, uh, I remember I was the manager. Well, we'll call it manager. I was a statistician. I didn't go any practice, but I showed up to all the junior high girls games and sat on the bench with them and did their stats for them and stuff. And right away, I mean, we had teachers who clearly knew that a, I was really good with numbers and math, but B I was really good with my basketball knowledge. So they trusted me right away to do that. Okay. So sixth grade, you're, you're doing stats for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. you get, you get through junior high, you get to your freshman year of high school. What, what do you remember from that, uh, from a basketball standpoint? Well, again, I knew right away that as a JV player, I wasn't even remotely close enough to play in varsity and we had a really good team. We actually won our league that year. It was one of, I think the three times, uh, that Walner Ridge last water Christians ever won the Iowa star. And, uh, so I wanted to be around those guys. And so I did all the stats for all our varsity games and, uh, traveled with them even when we didn't and that was back when JV was normally playing on Thursdays and Mondays so uh you know I I was I was just around it and and I knew that that was probably my best attribute was my knowledge of the game and my understanding of the game much more than my playing of it but that that didn't change my passion I felt the same way that the all-state level ability kid felt about it now when do you remember your first varsity game uh yes absolutely what was it um, it was, it would have been, uh, start of senior year. Yeah. I, I didn't, we had, we had enough depth and enough good players that, yeah, even, even junior year, I, I didn't get on to varsity, but then as a, as a senior, I had a, I had a roll off the bench and contributed at times. So, yeah. Who was your first varsity game against? Oh. I want to say at the time we were playing Starmont right away. Um, I'm almost positive. That's what it was. Um, but you know, I don't. I don't actually have the greatest recollection or memories of that. To be honest, there's a couple of certain games I remember. Um, I do remember. Uh, I think I started three times that year. Um, I do remember the first time I did was up at Mason City Newman. They were actually still in the Iowa Star Conference at the time, which seems crazy now looking back at it. Uh, I remember starting up there, and then um, then my favorite memory from senior year was was our our senior night. We played Grandview Christian, came up and played at up in Waterloo and we beat them. And I remember I, I started and I hit a three right away early in that game, which was kind of fun. And, you know, obviously the crowd is, ex- is excited when the guy who normally doesn't do that, he comes in and does something good right away, you know? So that was, th- those were, those were good memories. But again, I never, I was never really caught up a whole lot in my own game. And uh, I was certainly more driven by, uh, by what some of my buddies were doing and what our better players are doing. Now, how were you guys that year? Uh, we finished second in our league that year, um, my senior year. Uh, we were, I don't know, give or take. It, it's amazing now, and I'm sure that I'm in the minority of coaches this way, but I'm in, you know, I'm in maybe it was because I was never the greatest player. It's amazing how all these seasons I've coached now, the memories are so much more prevalent than my own playing days. But, uh, <laughs> you know, for for example, you know, I I, uh, I teach and coach a Brian Brungard, who was the state player of the year, won a state championship 2004. He can tell you just about everything about every game his senior year. But, uh, you know, again, he 
his experience might have been a little bit more more important in, in his memory than some of the other things that I feel like I've accomplished. But no, I know um, I know we were give or take fourteen and seven, and we got knocked out actually um, opening round of the playoffs. So we lost at home to Alice and Bristow, who's now part of North Butler. And uh, I remember that we had beat them like thirty in the regular season and lost to them, and it was it was a, kind of a tough pill to swallow. Um, yeah, I'll never forget that game for sure. Absolutely. Um, do you remember? what it was like well actually let me back up real quick everyone has that one game that one game mm-hmm. in high school where they're like that was it like that was my game what was your one game mm, my one game um we played which is kind of ironic now that i'm i'm, I'm at dunkerton but we played at dunkerton and we were winning by a fair amount and i was in for most of the fourth quarter and um, I remember I hit a three, maybe halfway through the fourth quarter, and then I, uh, I think we had the ball like twenty seconds left in the situation where you probably should hold it. And I remember hitting another three, and I remember that a couple of other people on their team in the handshake line were a little fired up. But <laughs> I don't, I don't remember my coach being upset about it at all. So I, you know, I mean today, one thousand percent, I'm not gonna if I'm playing somebody and we're you know, we're down 20 and one of their reserves who doesn't play a whole lot wants to get a shot up. I could care less, you know, and maybe I'm in the minority on that, but I'm certainly not going to react the way some coaches do to, to end of game. You know, in my mind, if we have 32 minutes, you know, let's get, especially with running clock these days, let's get everyone the most opportunities and shots they can, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you remember that senior year, how you guys played? What was your style? Oh, we, we were a lot of four out one in, um, we we had a pretty solid junior post. He was a really good football player. He actually walked on at Air Force Academy. Um, so we we tried to isolate him in the block. It was a lot more traditional, like post him up, block to block, side to side. We did a lot of screening away, some cutting. We didn't set a ton of ball screens, uh, but it was kind of a traditional style. Um, we didn't run a ton. We had a really solid point guard. One of my best buddies was a senior. He was, he was, uh, he was an all league point guard for us. And he was really, really good at kind of getting into the paint, getting two feet in the lane and being able to create for others with his dribble penetration. So I think we, we played off that a lot, but we had probably our two best players my senior year. Well, arguably we're both sophomores and they both went on to be all state level players by the time they were done. And so it was kind of that unique quasi rebuilding year quasi like we know we got to play the youngsters but we have some pretty good upperclassmen too and you know and it was it said it was a good team okay so you play in the tournament you said and you guys got upset do you remember it ends it's over um Mm -hmm. what was that like what was your plan what was your thoughts on the locker room what was next for you well i mean it was it was one of those things that was tough to, it was kind of a tough pill to swallow just because I remember their student section was really good. It was a conference school. You never want to lose to a conference school in the playoffs. <laughs> you know that. And, uh, you know, having it end at home against a team that we thought we were better than, I, I, we took it pretty hard. Now, we didn't really have state tournament aspirations or anything, but I remember taking it pretty hard. And actually, I use this story as a learning lesson for my kids a lot of times that that was about the time that iowapreps.com had just started and they had message boards. And, so the day or two after the game, you know, we don't at that point, we don't have a whole lot of knowledge about what's what you do or don't do on the Internet, you know. <laughs> and um, so I remember saying something stupid to some of the Allison Bristol people and saying that, you know, like we're going to show up in the next game and blah, 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 blah. And it wasn't like real threatful, but at the same time, just stupid. Um, a kid being a kid who doesn't 
doesn't understand that yet, I guess. And so I said some not necessarily inappropriate stuff, but stuff that I, I shouldn't have said. And uh, they ended out kind of actually getting a hold of our school, some people from there and people actually, I think Grundy Center was supposed to the next round and they had said like, Hey, we want to make sure that people from Waterloo aren't showing up to this game to cause trouble. And so I actually got in, got in trouble a little bit at my school uh, for that. And I think that was one of the only times in my growing up in my life, I was not a troublemaker that I got in trouble. And to this day, I still happily talk to kids about that story because I want to be vulnerable in that, you know, I didn't have anyone at that time, you know, people didn't know in 2001 necessarily what you do and don't post on the internet. And I think it's just so important that we're proactive with kids today in that, you know, and not only what you say, but what you do, how you handle yourself, what you post, what you like, what you retweet, any of that stuff. Um, so I think that, that, that's kind of been a, I can, I think that was kind of the way I, I released my frustration after that. And I learned that that is not okay. <laughs> and, you know, I try to use that as an example and be vulnerable to the kids today. If they, to, I'm not afraid to tell them that story. Yeah. Message boards used to be the thing. People would get yes, they nasty did. on those things. Yes, I know they did. every, uh, I don't want to say community cause it kind of spread out. It was basically like your, your six surrounding counties or whatever would start to have their message board and people would, you're right. I mean, people would get on there and just dog kids, like high school kids. Didn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, those those things, those would get nuts. Yeah, uh, and I think I think at the time I was fired up about something from somebody in their student section. I think like I want to say one of our best players fouled out right in front of their thing, and a couple of the kids like were on the front row and surrounded him. And I think it was you know it just something totally childish. Who cares down the road, you know? But. Again, when you're when you're 17 years old and you just lost your last game, it's going to resonate with you, you know. And yeah, it's 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 a good learning lesson, and I think it uh, it's something that I, I certainly am willing to share with kids because that's something we are proactive from day one. Now, as a coach, is is how we're going to handle ourselves on and off the court, and that includes our social media presence, and includes what we say to each other via Snapchat or, or whatever it may be, you know. The, the social media policies now they are. Um it's just crazy that you, you even have them, but yeah, it's, it's literally one of the first things we talk about every year as well is if you post something on social media, you can guarantee I'm going to see it. There's not Absolutely. a doubt in my mind, not a doubt, especially in a small town. Uh, so you get in with your senior season, you graduate high school and what's next. What are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. Um, I looked at a couple of different schools and uh, I kind of, I was kind of a homebody and, had never really been out of water cedar falls so you and i is pretty good school and i knew that in the back of my mind there's a good chance i was going to end up going into education so it made it made sense to to go to you and i and i i did so i started you and i in the fall of 2001 uh and uh, first semester i was actually undecided major wise and then uh, i remember at christmas time right before i started second semester freshman year i i um committed as a major to the um, PE department as a, as a PE teaching major and uh, committed that I was going to get my minor in, uh, in U.S. history teaching. So I wanted to kind of give myself a little flexibility. Uh, so I spent the next, you know, three, four years, four years at UNI and, uh, and ended up getting a coaching minor as well. There was a couple of coaching classes I wanted to take and I realized it wasn't that tough to get my coaching minor. And I had already gotten my coaching authorization. I got that during my freshman year at the, uh, the old AEA on Cedar Heights Drive in Cedar Falls. And I remember one of our, um, I think it was, you know, what it was like four different units or whatever. I remember one of our units was taught by, uh, by Ed Thomas, the late Ed Thomas from Abington Parkersburg. And um, he just gave us some good life lessons. I, 
obviously everyone knew who he was long before the his death or before the tornadoes or anything like that. You grew up in this area, you knew who Ed Thomas was. There's certain legendary coaches, no matter what the sport, the, who you know and you respect. And so right away, my freshman year of college, I knew I wanted to get into coaching. So I got that coaching authorization right away and uh, jumped right in, you know, after the first semester into an education major and kind of set off my path. Now, Ed Thomas, uh, for those who don't know, and to make sure that I have my, my local history down well, because I haven't been here all too long. Um, was a football coach at uh, AP, correct? Correct, yes. And his son is now the uh, principal and basketball coach over there, right? Correct. Yep, yep. Aaron yep. is his uh, Aaron is his youngest. No, uh, well, Aaron's one of his one of his two sons. Um, and yeah, he was the time his dad died. He was coaching, I believe, at Union High School, and was real real good coach over there. And then he went back to went back to AP and now has been there for quite a long time. And it's certainly kind of an institution in our, in our area for boys basketball coaching and obviously does a a phenomenal job and has them as a perennial state tournament contender every year. Yep. And and his dad was a, was an unbelievable coach from everything that I've seen. Absolutely. Yeah. He Um, was the, yeah. If, if if you've never seen it, if you're from outside the state, I would a hundred percent encourage you to watch the uh, SBO presentation when uh, the Thomas family won the uh, SB, the Arthur Ashe Courage Award back in, what was it? 2010, 2011. It's, it's a pretty incredible 12 minutes. I would spend that time on YouTube. It's pretty, pretty interesting if you're coming in from out of state. I will. I will have to check that out. Um, so during this time at college, you're, you and I, are you involved in basketball in any form other than, other than watching the Timberwolves and Staten all their games? <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 uh, don't actually, my first, my first coaching job actually is my, uh, one of my parents' friends knew that I got my coaching authorization. He was, uh, he was the freshman girls softball coach at Waterloo West and wanted an assistant, um, and had an opening for an assistant and came and talked to me and said, and I said, I said, Hey, I, I don't, like, I know baseball inside and out. I've never, never done anything with girls fast pitch softball, watched a couple of games in my life. And he's like, you'll figure it out. He's like, you'll figure it out. And so I actually spent the first two summers of college um, coaching freshman girls softball at Waterloo West. And that was actually my first coaching experience uh, with basketball. Didn't do anything coaching the first two years, but then my third year at UNI, um, I got in as uh, a JV coach at back at my alma mater at Walnut Ridge and uh, was able to, was able to do that. Actually, actually I was a third, third coach of Valencia. I did a little bit with helping the JV and then also a little bit with helping the varsity at the time. Um, They had a new coach come in. The, my high school coach left and moved to Pella. Uh, So when they had the new coach come in, you know, I kind of just jumped at that opportunity because um, they needed some more staff members then at that time. And so my first coaching experience then was my third year of college at UNI at, uh, back at my alma mater as kind of a quasi uh, JV assistant and quasi varsity assistant. Okay. So when you graduate uh, your senior year from UNI and you go teach at uh, Waterloo Christian. Yes. Yep. Yep. I, uh, and actually, I was because I when I started you and I, I was really young. I actually, long story, but I skipped a grade in elementary, um, and so I I started college at seventeen and ended out because I got that extra minor and was able to teach history, PE, and got my coaching minor. I ended out actually being at you and I for five years. So I spent my third year as the as the third um, coach at Walnut Ridge uh, at the time. Spent my fourth year as the there was just two of us then. It was the the new head coach and myself. By that time, I was 
then um, the full-time JV coach. And then my fifth year, he then left and took a different job. And so then I took over actually my last year of college as the, um, as the new head coach then at Walnut So I was, I was still a full-time college student and took over there, which was an awesome opportunity at the time. And I was actually blessed to step into a team that was really talented. We had a six, seven kid who was, um, ended up playing at Warburg, but was just a really, really solid post player at, a one, at the 1A level. Had some good guards around him and a sophomore who could really shoot it. And so we were actually fortunate enough my first ever year to win our conference. And so, you know, that was a great experience. But at the same time, I think we all know when we're super young, we kind of think we have it all figured out at times. <laughs> and so having that immediate success was good, but in a way almost – almost for a short time made me feel like, Oh, I've got this figured out. I've got this figured out. And, uh, um, we all know in, in the coaching profession that you're going to have a lot more days where you're humble than the days you're going to think you have it figured out. So, um, in a way it was good in a way it was bad, but, uh, but it was, it's certainly a great opportunity for me to do that at that young of an age. Absolutely. Now, what was it like going back to your, to your alma mater and coaching? Yeah. You know, I think, having those two years away was big because so many of those kids, I told you my senior year, the best players are sophomores. So I think having those two years away and kind of following them, I I was so close to a lot of those guys that by the time I came back, then the kids who, when I was a senior would have been freshmen were the seniors then. And uh, again, by the time we had a new head coach who was from out of state, um, you know, all the old ties, the old program, the way we ran things for the 10 years before that were all gone. So I think I was able to kind of be that bridge as far as, kind of morphing into his style with kind of here's the things that we've been good at over the years, because I, I understood the program as well as anyone who wasn't involved on a day-to-day basis. You know, I mean, I, I was, I'd managed, I'd played for, I had uh, observed from the crowd. I felt like I had a really good tie on not only the team, but the league as well. And so I was able to kind of really, really help with some of the scouting aspect right away. And, you know, this is before huddle days. This is before quick stats, varsity bound days. So I, you know, I kind of kind of stepped in right away as kind of preparing our team and the guys, the guys knew me well enough, uh, but I wasn't close. And it's not like these guys were my close friends. So I think that's important for anybody who gets into coaching at their alma mater is trying to make sure you have that balance of hopefully you're respected, but you know, and you want to be their friend, but not, you got to be able to have that distance and you got to be able to have that separation. And so I think the two years away really helped me with that. And then be able to be the assistant for a couple of years, allowed kids to see, you know, that I was going to put in the time that I was going to put in the effort. And I think right away from day one, even though I was still in college and super young, I think the families, the community, the players trusted me and they saw firsthand that I was going to work my butt off for them. And that, you know, at that time, I think it's just a little more natural when you're that age to be more of a player's coach and to, to know that, that they can, you know, count on you, that you're the ones hopping in half the drills with them and all that stuff that I think, I think it was just a natural transition. It worked out really well in retrospect. Yeah, I agree. That's something I see. I see a ton from, from young coaches is the balance between, um, you know, having being, I don't even want to say friends, being close with your players, but also having the respect them to where you can, you can get the attention of the room if you need to. Uh, Cause if you cross that line one way or another, uh, guys are either going to start to not like you and not listen, or they're going to not take you serious once you do try to get the attention of the room. So I agree with that. Now, for those who don't know very well or don't know you very well, your style of play mm. is brutal to prepare for, first of all. <laughs> Let's just put that out there. Second of all, it is 
so when I went to college, I went to college at a place called Heidelberg University. Uh, and Coach okay. Buhai put this – it was up in Tiffin, Ohio. He put this big decal on the wall, and it was called Controlled Chaos. And we pressed mm. for, for 40 minutes a game. And that is exactly what you guys remind me of. You, you're in people's face the inti- all four quarters, uh, insanely scrappy. So me and my uh, assistant, uh, Chuck Toma, we always, we always talk about uh, – you had a kid this past year. And I can't Barons. He just graduated. Mm-hmm. Yep. We always talk about him in a hundred other programs could get so lost just because he's he's a scrapper, and that gets lost in some programs if people play slow or more methodical. But in your program, it works great because he gets all the cleanup, he gets all the loose balls, he gets, and then he does. He shows up on the stat sheet. He shows up on film. Whereas in other programs, that that might not happen if you're playing slower. Where did that style come from? Did it was it your first year in coaching? You just immediately started doing that? No, no. I, I wish it. I wish it had. Um, I I've always I've always wanted to play fast, and I've always wanted to put pressure on the team. And I spending I ended up spending um, nine years total at Walnut Ridge slash became Waterloo Christian during my ten years, seven years as the head coach. And during that time, I had some really talented teams, but we were never deep, or we, we never had depth. I'm sorry. We were never the most athletic team. We generally knew the game better than most of our opponents. We might be able to shoot it better. And there was a lot of years that we we were really solid, but we never had the – it felt like more years than not, I was trying to slow the game down. I was playing more 2-3, more junk. I was trying to do the things that I thought could help us, you know, maybe be the difference between 11 and 10 instead of being – nine and 12 if you know what i mean uh instead of necessarily setting a hey here's what the program's going to be year in and year out where you expect it to i was more i think if you would ask me when i was 25 26 i was a firm believer that every single year you need to have a different system that's built to the talent you have we can't go on recruit we've got to play with the people we have and i think looking back at it now that i'm 39 years old i don't think i was wrong i think i was on the right track because in essence, we can't recruit. We have to play with the players we have. I can't go out there every single year and make sure that I've got a uh, a, a pass first point guard. You know, just like you know, in, in high school football, I'm sure everyone would love to have a mobile quarterback. Some years you're not going to, uh, you know. And I I think that I, all those years I spent at at Walnut Ridge Water Christian, I think I I saw the teams that I that I liked the styles they played. I want things that made it tough for us to prepare for things that things that gave our team fits. And, and I, and I, in my mind, I kind of created exactly how I wanted my teams to be someday, the kind of system I wanted to play. I just knew that certain teams, I couldn't do that. So whenever I had the chance to play a little faster, whenever I had the chance to exert pressure on the other team, you know, I wanted to try to do that, but it just was never natural, never easy. And so I think when I, when, when we first, you know, at Dunkerton kind of switched to that system and kind of committed to it, it was like a two year out kind of process. We kind of said like, okay, the team we have right now needs to kind of play slow, but let's get our JV playing fast. And kind of from day one, a certain class that we had come in, we, we just ran, 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 press, 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 fast court drill, fast break drill, just nonstop with this group when they were in JV. And <laughs> they ended up having some pretty fierce battles with their varsity for a couple of years. And so once they got up and started playing, you know, we kind of naturally then moved into that as more our system. And, and we haven't looked back at it. And now, 
you know, it's something that I'm encouraging everyone of our junior high coaches to do, our youth coaches to try to, to, to do if we can is just, you know, let them make mistakes to play free, to play fast. And it, it's, it's just, it's not something you can make the change to overnight. It's something that you have to, to commit to. And I don't, I don't think I would have had the, the patience or the ability to do it when I was younger. Uh, but now, you know, it, it'd be hard for me to play any other way, really. Yeah. And you do, that's something, uh, that's something I, I admire about your program a lot is you, the, the willingness to accept mistakes, right? A lot of times you'll, uh, when you're playing slower and this is a, this is a growing pain for anyone who, who starts a program. I remember after my first coaching job, I just thought like, you should be able to, to your point, you have some success. And I'm like, well, if anyone can't turn a program around in two years, they're not good. Right. And then you get your next coaching job and you're like, mm-hmm. okay, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. Right. You, no, you have to, no. You have to kind of look a little further, see what you have coming, especially in, in high school to your point, we can't recruit. So, um, but you know, when you play slower, you'll, you'll have coaches and this happens at the collegiate level, you know, they'll say under 15 turnovers, right. Or under, under 13 turnovers. That's something that we, we harped on when I first got to Don Bosco because we did, we felt like we had to play slower. Yeah. Uh, you you guys don't feel that way, right? It feels like, you know what, I'm going to take the good with the bad. I'm going to take, you know, the great with the ugly. Uh, and you're going to have some really spectacular moments. And you're going to have some moments that it's duff, but they're also 15 year old, 15 year old kids, right? I mean, absolutely, you, absolutely. You, you would expect that. So um, you, you're the head coach for seven years. You're there for nine mm-hmm. total, like you said. Um, mm-hmm. Walk me through your decision to leave. Uh, yeah, I actually, this is kind of, a, it was kind of a unique transition time. I, I had a group at, at, and about 10 years ago, um, 10, 11 years ago, water cushions enrollment was down quite a bit and the school was just struggling to begin with. Um, and at the time we shared sports with Valley Lutheran and we had a couple of Valley Lutheran kids playing and I was kind of getting to the point where it's like, you know, I'm ready to kind of move on to do something else. At the time I was already teaching at Dunkerton. Um, and so any, any of us who've ever taught and coached in different districts, you know, the, the, the pain that can be, there's a select few of us out there who are just like, it's, it's, it's nice, but it's, it's, it's very difficult. Um, and so I, I kind of, my, my heart was kind of pulling me away from there. Uh, I think just with, you know, I knew that it was going to kind of be, they actually had an incoming freshman the year after me who was ended up being, I think the leading scorer in the school's history. So I knew we had some talent. We weren't bare, but I just, again, just the kind of the, the, the way the enrollment was going, we, we lost those value with their kids because they decided to start playing their own sports. And so I just felt it's time for me to learn something different. So I resigned in the spring of, it would have been, uh, 2012 and, uh, um, I knew the, the Water West coaches really well at the time. Um, Justin Little was their head coach. He's now the assistant at Warburg, but he was actually back in the day, he was the head coach at Dunkerton in 2004 when they won the state championship. Uh, so I knew him pretty well. Again, head coach at Waterloo West. And so I spent the whole summer with them, went to all the open gyms, went to summer camps with them fully, um, just planning to be a varsity assistant there. Well, then I get a call in – August saying that the uh, that the Denver Community School District's head coaching job had come open. Uh, it was kind of a late thing that had happened in the summer, and um, it was actually I got a call from Marty McCowan, and he said, you know, I think you'd be perfect for that job. He's like, are you under contract at West yet? And I said, no, I'm not. I haven't signed anything at West. I've been working with them all summer. He said, you know, I really think you should go up and apply for that job. Um, so I did, and I got that job at Denver. Um, I spent a year there. Uh, it was it was a great learning experience for me. It was it was a year with a lot of adversity. It was it was a tough position to step into, uh, 
just a variety of things with uh, kind of the way that kind of the, some of the 10 years before it ended and just kind of a, me not teaching in the district, not coaching in the district, just kind of a late to the, to the process. It was a rebuilding year for them. And, you know, I think any of us who've ever spent time, you know, if your heart's not in it some, at some place or somewhere, if you know it's not the right fit, uh, you know, it's not something you want to try to make work or drag out, you know? And so um, I think that, uh, I think that, you know, it, it just, I learned a lot that year because in, in a lot of ways we did fail that year. I think we were six and 16, something like that. And it was just, it was a long, long, arduous year. And so um, I resigned from there after one year Um and and one of the big things that kind of happened then is at the time the current Dunkerton or at the at the time the Dunkerton head coach um, Dan Kniebel, who's now one of my assistants, uh, had to had to resign because he worked for John Deere and they were going to need him to travel to Europe three, four, five times a year for a week at a time. And so he knew that during bass season he was going to have to be gone for two weeks. So he, as part of taking his salary and job increase, um, he knew that he had to give up basketball. So. Brian Brungard, um, somebody I still work with, teach with, you know, who's a dunker and legend. He was Dan's assistant forever, um, stepped in as the head coach. And uh, at that time, then had a paid assistant opening available. And, you know, it just kind of was a no brainer. I mean, having been in the district teaching there, knew the kids and, that was the year coming in that we ended up winning the state or not winning the state championship, sorry, getting second place at state in 2014. We had a 6'11 center by the name of Corey Kensling who went to play at Drake and was phenomenal first team all state kid. And we had some other good players around him. So I, I knew that it would be a fun year, something fun to be a part of. And frankly, honestly, I, at the time I thought to myself, you know, it might be a good idea to be an assistant again. You know, I took over at 21 years old from, from Walnut Ridge. I think it was time for me to learn again. Uh, so uh, I kind of made the transition quickly then into that 13, 14 year at Dunkerton as the, uh, as the JV coach and, uh, and as the um, assistant. And uh, actually that first year we had a volunteer coach staff who coached JV. I was just the varsity assistant, but uh, we ended up being a top five team all year, made it to the state tournament, uh, played a couple of good games down there and got all the way to the state championship game. And then ended up losing by 30 to, to West Lyon, who's now not even close to a 1A school anymore, but they, that was one of the best boss teams I've ever seen in my life. My goodness, but just an awesome experience. I'd never been to the state tournament in any manner to be able to get there as a, uh, as, as the assistant at the school that I was teaching at where I knew all the kids it was just, it was an awesome experience. And to kind of step back and kind of be, you know, not in that position of leadership and to, to try to learn again and pick up their system and kind of be able to get more of my ideas with what they were doing. Uh, it, it just, it couldn't have worked out any better. So that was, that was kind of that 13, 14 year and kind of that uh, first year then that I was at Dunkerton. Yep. So I want to just back up real quick and I'm sure this isn't a year you want to relive it all, but I do think it's important for, for young coaches, especially uh, to mm-hmm. your point. Um, Take me through. So you go from. Uh, I just did a, a podcast with uh, Scott Shane from from Sellersburg, Indiana. He's the girls okay. coach at Silver's Creek, and they sure. just won a, a state title two years ago, and they went back uh, the year after that. And he was talking about his first coaching job, the school it was at, and it comes open, and he applies, and he goes and gets it. You know, you just think you're the man, and then he <laughs> said, you, you realize it's open for a reason. Like jobs yes. are open for a reason. Um, Walk me through. Marty calls you. For those who don't know Marty, he's sure. the the coach at uh, Wapsie Valley, been around mm-hmm. for ever. His son coaches at Upper Iowa uh, D two school. So Marty calls you. You go interview. 
you you get the job at Denver, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you show yep. up for your first meeting, your first practice. Um, kind of just like walk me through the start of that year. What were your expectations? What was your plan going in? Um, j- just to start the year. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges was that I was stepping into a, a position that didn't have any um, any assistant coaches returning. Uh, that was that was one of the big challenges, I think, right away from the first moment. I think that's something I would tell anybody these days who gets a new job. You know, I, I actually talked to a couple people who were just recently hired at a certain place. And even if they were even if you're somebody who's had an, a head job somewhere else and you're going to a new school is you, you, you got to you know how important it is having great staff with you. And with all your demands these days, there's no way you can do it right by yourself, not even close. Uh, so I think that that was something that I would encourage any anyone taking a new coaching position is really be mindful in your interview. What do you have returning for assistance? Do you have leads on assistance? Because um, I, I think that was an initial challenge is trying to fill out that staff. Now, I was able at the time, there was a, a returning junior high coach who was willing to step up and come up to the high school and help me. Uh, but the whole year, we coached just the two of us, and we had about 40 kids. We were playing three schedules. Um, he was running JV, um, freshman team in JV practice with, with 25 kids in a gym by himself. Uh, at the same time, while I'm running a 15-person varsity practice by myself, and I, I think about that compared to, like today to if you walk into a dunker practice, we got four coaches in there. We're all working together. I mean, there's so much unity, collaboration. I've got great assistants who are who are running drills that I'm able to just kind of step back and observe more and really, you know, kind of understand the process. We're able to divvy up scouting reports in those three game weeks. I just have unbelievable people that I work with today. And, and I'm not saying that my, my assistant here at Denver wasn't. He did a great job and, and the kids loved him. But we were stretched so thin that I think that, that was an immediate challenge. Um, and so that's another thing. I mean, not every school is going to necessarily have three or four paid coaches. But being able to have community members who are rocks and pillars for the program and people that you can rely on is it's just always, it's just an advantage. And sometimes that takes time. Sometimes you have to be there for a couple of years for people to trust you and want to be a part of that, you know? So again, it was nothing against the community, nothing against the people I worked with, but I think that was one of our big challenges right away. And then the second one, it was just that not having a summer to work with your team. You know, I, I, my extent leading up to the season was the research that I did. Uh, Huddle was just starting to be a thing. So I was able to see a couple films of them the year before, but they were in a rebuilding process. They'd lost, uh, four starters from the year before uh, we had a young team we had a lot of kids who were, who were solid players but I saw five or six Sunday night open gyms in September and October and that was it and so we kind of stepped in day one I'm learning a new conference um, learning the opponents we're playing against getting used to a new school system that I'm not teaching in uh, with two paid two coaches total with uh, you know 35 40 kids I had luckily found two guys to coach junior high who were people that I knew that I brought in. And I, and I wanted them to get up and help with high school as much as they could, but they were both busy guys who were coaching junior high as well. You know, so it's just, it was unfortunately a year that there was just, it was, it was no matter what going to be one of the most challenging years. And so I think that that was trying to get, uh, a system in place with with people that I can count on, and also trying to learn the players, learn the league. It was just, it was it was wanting to make sure that more or less my my initial, here we're going to be successful. We can just keep our head above water to start the year, really. And <laughs> so it was kind of one of those like I, I wasn't expecting instant success, but I wanted to see a team that was that was getting better as the year went and uh, starting to learn my system and trust my system. Yeah, absolutely. You know. 
a 40 to two ratio isn't exactly uh isn't exactly great when you're talking 40 kids to two coaches um for those who have not been through that type of winter those are long long winters that, that does not feel like three and a half months four months it feels like a year it feels like eternity yeah. Yeah. um when did you and at the high school level it's a little different right when you get some bigger high schools are like this, but at the collegiate level, like uh, some small high schools are like this. I shouldn't shouldn't say that they're not, but um, you get the community, uh, parents, um, administration who, you know, maybe they have kids in or whatever. They get frustrated. They get fussy. They get, you know, you start hearing hundreds of different things. Um, walk me through the process of at the time you come from, you know, your alma mater where you had success. Now you're mm-hmm. at Denver. And, and you're, it's not going how you thought it was going to be. And I'm sure, I'm sure you had some of those conversations throughout that year, right? We've all had those conversations where parents yeah, are upset or players are upset or administration's upset. Walk me through, you know, that one night that you're driving home or that you're sitting on your couch or you're in the office and you're just like, oh my God, like this coaching thing is that this is not, you know, th- I don't, I don't know if I'm cut out for something like this, right? We've all had that thought. Before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I through those feelings and what that was like. Yeah, I think the first ever time I had one of those feelings when I first year I ever coached JV by myself that second year at Water Christian before I was ever head coach. I remember we played GR that year in a JV game. We lost by like 50, couldn't get the ball across half court. They're running a 1-3-1 extended. And I remember literally sitting there for an hour, not even talking, just thinking to myself that like maybe I shouldn't coach, maybe I shouldn't coach. Like you said, I think we've all had those moments. And so, you know, I I think looking back through time, I can remember a lot of days like that. you know, when we lost this past year to Lake Mills in their substitute game by 35 points and gave up 80% field <laughs> effective field goal percentage, I kind of felt that way, you know. But it's, I think it's 100% natural that we're all going to feel that way at times. And and I think that's also important not to not to, to jump away from your question, but I think it's, that's why it's so important to have people that you count on in the coaching fraternity, whether it's people you work with or people that you know. Uh, yeah, I was talking last year at, at the IBCA clinic in the fall um, with a coach that I really, really respect. A longtime coach who's had a lot of success that I know in the area who had just come off like a something, we'll say, give or take like three and 19 season. And he said that he got a call from from um, Mike Hilmer at Northland. And he said Mike Hilmer called him and just said, like, just like halfway through the year, and said, you're a phenomenal coach. Like, keep doing what you're doing. Like, you know that it's going to come and go. Like we can't always exactly choose exactly who's going to get hurt, who's going to be eligible, who's going to be part of the team, who's going to go work instead, who's going to be living in your district. You know, some of those things are out of our control, but the most important thing is not that win loss is that we're there for the kids, that we stay positive, that we teach them to, to learn through adversity. And I think having another adult say that to you, even when you know it, I think sometimes that reassurance is, is everything. Um, so I, I think at the time, you know, teaching at Dunkerton, um, I knew a lot of those coaches pretty well. And I, I think that they were encouraging to me through that year at Denver. Uh, I think that there's a lot of people that I knew still from the old Iowa star, uh, people that I was keeping in touch with coaches that I had met along the way. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's easy to beat yourself up when things aren't going well, but I think, I think I understood the big picture pretty well. Uh, but, you know, there's certainly a lot of moments when you, when you get frustrated and there's a lot of moments when you're just like, you know, we just, we can't turn the corner and we're just still making the same mistake we've made for the last month. And what am I doing wrong? And, and, 
but I think that's also, that's life, you know, I think there's a lot of situations that uh, you're going to feel that way, whether it's your career, whether it's, uh, you know, something you're doing as a parent or whatever it may be, uh, you know, it's easy to doubt yourself when, when things aren't always, um, when you're not seeing immediate success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, especially in high school sports is so cyclical. I say all the time, you better, watch, you better watch how hard you give it to someone because you give it three years and they're, they're mm-hmm. going to give it right back to you. So, yeah. um, it, you know, it's not like that at the higher levels that you, you can churn it out. You can keep recruiting. You can, you're going to run into a class. I don't care how big you are. That's just not as good. And, and you're not going to win as many games. So, yeah. um, so you're at Duncan in the 14th season, you make the mm-hmm. state run. Um, Brian's a coach. How, mm-hmm. does the, how does the co-head coach thing come about? What year does that happen? Uh, so I was with Brian, um, 13, 14, 14, 15, 15, 16. Um, and that 13, 14 year, we were really good. The next two years were kind of those rebuilding years. And, and those are the years that I told you we had that JV team that was super athletic, super fun, uh, had some depth that we knew we could totally change the style. Cause even our years that we were really, really good at Duncan and back the, the years before I got there. And then that year that we went to the state tournament, we were, you know, it was like a 55 to 32 kind of game. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't scores like what we play today, you know, and it was more prize every possession, play unbelievable defense, control the game, control the tempo. Uh, and so, you know, when I, and I kind of went to Brian and talked to him about that, you know, kind of really embracing playing faster with that younger group, you know, he was fully on board right away. And that's one thing Brian always trusted me in. You know, I'm sure it wasn't easy to for him to be a first time head coach to have somebody who had eight years of varsity head coaching experience on your staff. I think that's a situation where a lot of people it might push them away if if that makes sense that you might have that animosity at times, but we we never did. He trusted me. I did my absolute best to to never step on his toes, but to to be there as a rock that he could lean on and the beautiful thing about the way Brian and I work together, and this is kind of leading into how we went into the co-head coaching role is that Brian and I are, are vastly different in every way. Our, our mannerisms, our, our, uh, our personalities, uh, you know, I'm an emotional, loud person. He's a very quiet, methodical, you know, very intelligent, just, um, you know, confident person. And it's just, we're, we're so different. Um, but that worked out so well. Uh, his strength as a coach was, was preparation as far as, uh, um, player development, running youth stuff, um, running off season stuff. He, he was, uh, he spent all his years. He played at co he spent all these years and he has ever since then, you know, running youth things, teaching at, at, at camps and clinics and stuff. And just, he understood player development so very well. And he was very methodical at putting together a, a program, a complete program where I was more the, I think my strength was more the, maybe sometimes, you know, not only sometimes sometimes that game day emotionalness, but I think also my ability to think on my feet a little bit quicker, maybe. Um, I think my, you know, my ability to make changes in the moment, maybe to take a 30-second time out and make make an adjustment. Um, I think that's something that I've always kind of had a strong suit for. And, uh, and you know, for us to be able to have that trust in each other, even when it came to something like scouting or, or making a change with personnel, uh, you know, I think it just it became very – it was natural for us, where I think a lot of people maybe – wouldn't have had that success that we had. Um, so I, I am very proud of that myself, but uh, I will forever be so grateful to Brian for that experience. And then having Dan Knievel around, even in the, the limited experience that he had at the time originally, and then through the years, then he slowly started working more with us. And now he's, now he's a full-time member of our coaching staff, but you know, he was, he was the head coach before Brian and he's 
again brings a whole nother set of strength his, you know his 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 patience his wisdom his never getting too high or too low um you know so it just i think that everyone has had her own strengths and i think that the community kind of embraced that and i think it made it easier for me as an outsider who didn't grow up in dunkerton to kind of come in and get people to start appreciating the way i do things and appreciating my system and my way of play as well so um you know that was just a one of those situations where I was able to, you know, I don't think a lot of people get that, you know, people who do this forever or not forever, but, you know, I think I heard the statistic the other night, uh, we had our IBCA mentoring mini session on Sunday and um, Raz Vanderloo, our IBCA president said that um, the average head coach uh, lasts three years total in the profession. Um, and and that's, that's kind of, it's kind of sobering to think about, you know, there's not a, and with the pressures and with the times and the amount of, you know, we're seeing it with officials, but I think that more and more we're going to see it with coaches that there's just going to be a lot of people who are just going to say like, sure, I might do it in my twenties, but then I'm done, you know, and maybe I'll pick it back up when I'm in my fifties or sixties. But, you know, I, I think that the days of having somebody have a 30, 35 year head coaching career is, is, is going to be a lot smaller than what it used to be. Uh, so I think that, I think that's my long-term ambition is to do that. I can't imagine myself not coaching, but I'm guessing there's not a lot of guys who get that situation where they're able to get their feet wet for eight years and then be able to take three years back and then kind of learn and be an assistant again. And by then I knew what I wanted out of assistance and I just tried to be that person. But I think that so much of my success today is because of that experience of being able to, to learn in my twenties, but then also be able to go back and, and, and fix those errors I had in my coaching through those years as an assistant again. I, I agree 100%. And you're seeing it already, right? Coaches. I I've seen their coaches around here um, that are uh, extremely respected that I've, you know, I, I haven't been here too terribly long. I've been here about five years. So learning about them that I'm seeing just, just step down like out of the blue and it's like uh, it's it's just a lot right it's it's like you said in the beginning it's a different time there's a lot more to monitor you got to monitor social media you got to monitor you know everything um and so it is it is a lot different now brian starts having kids right Mm -hmm. um starts growing a family how did you find out that he was stepping down as the head coach yeah, Brian always told me that he wasn't going to do it forever. And that was honestly one of the first conversations we had when I agreed to be his assistant coach that when I left Denver um, is Brian said, you know, I'm going to I'm not going to do this forever. Like he and he said that. And, you know, it just, you know, that's part of, you know, kind of just a transition that we we kind of talked about. It and and so following, I think that third year um, I had. I had a couple conversations with some other people. I had interviewed for one other job, um, another head coaching job. And I'd also had a, another conversation with a, with a, a four A school in the area about me joining on as one of their, one of their um, varsity assistants. And I, I, I didn't really necessarily want to leave Duncan, but I felt like at that time that I was, I was ready to, to, to do something possibly a little bit different. Um, but I also knew that I'd worked with those JV guys and I knew how good we were going to be for an extended period of time at Dunkard. And so, you know, Brian and I sat down and I just said, Hey, Brian, I, you know, I, I kind of want to know, like, what is he thinking? What is his thoughts? And, you know, he told me that he said, absolutely. He would be more than willing if we wanted to jump on as co-head coaches that we could kind of just start slowly transitioning things over. And he knew that he wasn't going to do it forever. And, uh, and those, those three years that we spent together as, as co-head coaches, I, 
again, I think that's something where a lot of people wouldn't be able to do that. And, uh, and, and we were, and, and, you know, it, I think our team was unbelievably successful in those three years. And we had just a, a team that was fun and, and energetic. And I think that, w- that we worked very well together. And I, I, I really hope that the kids got the best of that because of our ability to kind of sometimes look over our own egos and to be able to, to kind of collaborate on that. And, uh, you know, it wasn't really that much different than when I was his assistant. Um, obviously I took over a little bit more of the responsibilities, but generally, you know, it was, for the most part, he had his responsibilities. I had my responsibilities and, and it just, it, it just, it meshed very well. Um, so for, for three years, then we did that together. Um, that was, oh, let me get this right. I think 16, 17, 17, 18, 18, 19. And we were in the substate two of those three years, uh, um, got upset in seventeen eighteen in the substate game. We were, I think a top five team that was the year that Don Bosco went to state actually. Um, and us and Don Bosco split throughout the year. We were both top five teams most of the season. Uh, I tell you what, that game that we played in Don Bosco's gym where you couldn't even move in there and there was 50 people deep on the sides. That gym gets hot enough anyway. I tell you what, <laughs> that was <laughs> that night. Uh, and you get, you get a couple of, uh, of well-built coaches like me and coach Kellogg. It was, there was a lot of sweat that I hope put it that way, but, <laughs> but uh, that was, you know, we, we had a lot of awesome memories and we had awesome kids those three years. And, and I, I cherish that time with me and Brian and, and I would tell Brian firsthand today. And I, and I've said to him before, like the day he wants to come back and never do it again, I'm forever grateful to him and indebted to him for that transition. And I would be more than happy if he ever wanted to rejoin to, to go right back to where we were, because I, I really think that, that we were, that we were a great duo and we were a great team. Um, and I think that our, my weaknesses were his strengths and maybe his weaknesses were my strengths. And I just think that we, we gelled together very well during that time. Absolutely. So uh, during those years, you mentioned it, you had, you had the team. Um, unfortunately, I was not, that was like a year before I moved up here, I do believe. But I do hear about um, that game at Bosco, uh, people standing <laughs> on the stage. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Kellogg is a, is a good friend and, uh, yeah, so talking about talking about the Don Bosco Duncan and rivalry. Now we've been down uh, numbers wise, talent wise, since I took over right after Kellogg left. But um, <laughs> I, I tell them all the time, I'm like, my number one thing that I hope is when we get really good, mm-hmm. Dunkerton's really good <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's. Mm-hmm. It, I don't want to take anything away from 4A basketball. 4A basketball is great, but there is something about a small town gym against two really good teams. Um, just the energy and the, it's so compact, right? And it's, it's small and it just feels more inclusive. Uh, there is something about that. It's, it's, it's electric. Yeah. So I look forward that, to that. I look forward to yes, that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That and, and Duncan and Don Bosco is, is just a perfect close enough 10, 15 minutes away that just, it, it makes sense as a rivalry. It always has. And it's, it's always fun when, you know, it's fun to play, it's fun to play conference opponents who are also good and to get the best out of that. And, you know, there's years that there's years that our conference is, is stronger than other years. And, you know, us having two top 10 teams from our small conference that year was, it, it was great for both of us. And I, I want to say that we certainly made Don Bosco better. And then I know without a doubt, Don Bosco made us better. Uh, and it was, it was hard for us when, when they went to state and we didn't, we, we went in as the heavy favorite in our substate game, lost to a good Ed co team that year. They shot the, absolute crap out of in the substate game and and edco you know the success they've had the last five years i mean they beat north Atlanta last year and coach oland over there does a phenomenal job and 
and that was that that was that was a tough game for us because we thought that we not only could get to state, we thought we had a really a chance to make uh, you know potentially a deep run at the state tournament that year in uh, in seventeen eighteen. But we did return some of our better players in eighteen nineteen. We lost a lot of our depth, but got right back in the sub state game in eighteen nineteen. Then um, and we lost to uh, Clinton Prince of Peace Catholic uh, in the sub state game that year, and <laughs> that was one that was. Uh, uh, you know, I think we lost by, by two and by three, those two years of sub day back to back. So it, uh, you know, again, we, we learn from those lessons. It, it's a little easier for us to take as hard as it is for us as coaches. We, we hope that we're going to be back in those situations someday. Um, but that was Brian's last year, you know, the Brian's last two years and to not get back to state as he started, I think was hard for him. And, and it's particularly hard for those kids. Cause you know, we may have, I might coach in eight, 10 subset games throughout my career, but those kids are only going to play in one or two. And so, you know, it's, that's, that's when the locker room is really hard is, is knowing that those kids don't get to experience that, especially once you've been there once, you know, you just want everyone on your teams to have that, to have that chance to be, you know, given the or the uh, fire truck escort back into town after a subset game and, 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 and have a parade of people waiting to take you out to go to Des Moines. And those memories we, we made in 14 is just something we want every one of our teams to feel. And so to be that close back to back years was a little bit of, of, a, of a tough pill to swallow. And it certainly kind of fueled me in these last couple of years as well. Absolutely. Now, fast forward to now slash slash last year, you guys go uh, 22 and four, right? And yes. you, um, played Newman Catholic your last game of the season and to uh, my surprise to I I think everyone's surprised it was not as close as everyone imagined uh you turn around you get them in the district championship and you beat them to go to substate yeah um and you run into a a really good Lake Mills team I mean (laughs) really good um now you return uh, pretty much everyone. You lose a couple guys, right? Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's any secret in the area at all uh, that you guys are supposed to be a juggernaut this year. What is it um, about this this group um, in specific that that you think they can do the same thing as the fourteen teams? Yeah, um, you know, uh, one thing that I've told. I like to talk about history a lot. I like to talk about legacy a lot. And, you know, I'm not from Dunkerton, but I've, I've taught there for 13 years now. I've coached there in one aspect or another for nine. So I feel like I'm, I know the community really well by now. And 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 the, the last two years when we – or the last two times that we've gotten to the state tournament, 2004 when they won, obviously I wasn't a part of it then, the year before they lost in sub-state. Uh, in 2014, the year we got second, they lost the year before in sub-state. So I think that – both times they've been that close, they've smelt it, they've understood that that failure and of of, of losing in the subsequent game and wanting to get back there. So I think last year, that's that's one thing I talked to our coaches about. Is I just said I just said I want to beat Newman, I want to get back to Lake Mills, and you know we knew that we were going to have to play well to beat Lake Mills, but we didn't see them coming out and shooting sixty seven percent, you know, eighty one percent field goal percentage effective, you know, but. Uh, but I, th- I think just us being able to know that we were able to come back and, and be resilient and beat a team like Newman and then to be able to get to experience that sub-state game, I think is going to be such a great learning lesson for us this year. Uh, it, it, I wanted that experience first and foremost for the kids. Um, but I, I think ultimately what's going to drive our success this year, I think more than anything is going to be our depth. I, I'm 
one of the first things I'll talk to any coach about is I, I, I'm just such a believer. You have to develop depth. And, and again, there's, there's more than one strategy out there. There's more than one way to do it. I know there's a lot of teams that go to state every year who play five guys, maybe a sixth if, if they have to for five minutes, you know, um, they, if you look at box scores, time in and time out, there's a lot of teams at state who play the four guys, 32 minutes. And I'm not saying that's the wrong way to do it at all, but something I cherish as a coach is depth and trying to build depth. Uh, whether you're going to have kids sick and eligible hurt, um, whatever may come, you know, I want to be able to, to know that I've got guys ready to step in. And I think this year I feel as good about that as I have in a long time. Um, we got not only a really good group of seniors, but a couple of nice junior pieces, but we've got a really, really good group of sophomores as well. And I think that, I think that this summer, that's one thing I've really tried to do is play 10, 11 guys and to try to, you know, be somebody who, if we're going to play at that breakneck speed that we play at, if we're going to be pressuring people, um, both in the half court and the full court, if we're going to try to score within the first 10 to 12 seconds, every possession, like, you know, I can't, I, I can't, play at that style and sustain that with five kids and so that's one thing that I'm really excited about that I think could be enough to maybe push us over the top maybe even compared to some other years I think we're going to trust our bench maybe hopefully a little bit more um which again and then that can be really good but that also can be tough if you don't have guys who buy into it because we've got I got some guys on my bench who would probably go and be, you know, potentially double digit scores on another team. And that's a great problem to have. But if you don't have kids who are willing to, to sacrifice for the team, that becomes a problem. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited about our depth, but I know that if we don't handle it right, if we don't be very clear about our, our expectations and communicate with the kids and, and, and treat them with honesty and dignity and respect from day one, uh, you know, like it could be a problem. So I, I, I think I, I said the same thing for last year and I'll say it again this year. And it might be more true. I, my job as a coach this year is not going to be X's and O's. My job is not going to be even necessary preparation. My, my job is going to be culture and, and accountability and, uh, creating that family environment that we've striven, we've strived so hard to do. But I think that sometimes when you have a really good team and a really deep team, that becomes more important than ever because there's, there's going to be a lot of guys out there who are going to want maybe be a little more opportunity than what they get and be able to shoot the ball a little bit more than what they, they do. That makes sense. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's you, you get to a point where you're so talented that you can't overthink the room. You're basically just, uh, you're just the relationship guy for the year, which is the ultimate coaching job. I, I love those <laughs> coaching jobs. Um, as you look back on it, uh, your, your time at Dunkard and so far, what is the one outside of, um, the sub-state games, throw those out. What is the one game that you look back and you're like, man, that one hurts. That one hurts a little bit more than others. Ooh. Um, oh, gosh, there's, there's quite a few, honestly. <laughs> there's quite a few. Um, I do want to caveat that whole, you know, I'm as a head coach now, I'm 0-3 in sub-state games. And I, I only bring that up because – this summer I was talking to one of the members of our school board and I was saying something about how I like to do things a certain way on Saturday games. And I said that I like to do our, our, uh, our, our kind of plan and how we run sub-state games, how we follow the same schedule every time. I said, I'm kind of a creature of habit by the way we do our shoot around, by the way we do like a team breakfast, all this stuff. And then I kind of thought, and I was kind of quiet for a second and then our school board member said, Oh, that makes great sense coach. And was kind of talking to me. And then I was kind of quiet for a second. And then I was like, well, I am 0 three in those games. So what do I know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Sometimes we think we have it figured out and we don't, you know, but um, no, I think outside of those games, I, I, and this is a recency bias thing, I guess. Um, 
the two that stand on my mind in, in recent years, um, in in 1920, which would have been my first year alone as head coach after Brian stepped down, uh, we we had lost a very talented group of seniors. We had um, not only a young team, that was Casey Garner's freshman year. He started at point guard from day one. Um, we kind of turned the keys over to him right away. We had a couple seniors who were really, really hard workers, great kids, um, you know, not the maybe the most gifted basketball players, but just – exactly the kind of teammates we wanted who were going to play scrappy and kind of play the style we wanted to play. So we were able to keep playing fast and keep trapping and stuff, even though we knew we weren't going to be very talented. Um, and the very first game of that year, we played Janesville on the road and Janesville was going to come in probably as the primitive favorite in the conference. And, <laughs> and certainly one of the favorites, if not the favorite. And, and we played just phenomenally from the start. We were prepared. We, we sat on all their stuff. We just, I, I, I felt like, we couldn't have executed any better. Um, and we had the ball at the end uh, tie game. We're holding for one shot. They're pressuring us. I, I told the kids in timeout, I'm a little worried about us making sure that we get a shot off. So I said, if we have a chance, let's go with it. Where there's a lot of teams, I would say, no matter what we're shooting with under five seconds, we might get a tip in. If not, we go to overtime. Um, we end up taking in a pretty open three with about eight seconds left. Of course, long rebound bounces out. Um, the uh, the Appleby kid, Jaden Appleby, picks it up at about the three-point line, streaks away on a breakaway layup that he makes uncontested at the buzzer with the closest guy five feet behind him. Uh, and just, it was one of those games that just at the end, it's just like, my gosh. And we ended out going, I think, oh, something like, you know, uh, 11 and 12 that year, something like that. But that was, it was just a game where we, we could have stole one against maybe the best team in our first game with a freshman at point guard. And it was just one of those games where like at the end, the kids are just devastated. It's just like, you want to look everyone in the face and tell them how dang proud you are. And, and just like, if we can do this right away with this rebuilding team, what are the sky's the limit, you know? And I think that that was, I think we learned a lot of lessons from those games. And I think that as a coach, I'm not that upset looking back that we lost it. But I think at the time, how good that would have felt to get that one, um, you know, uh, I think that one stands out. And then there was a uh, there was a game last season, uh, very very late in the year. We were playing uh, or very I'm sorry, very very late before Christmas in December. We were playing Denver at home, and uh, you know I, we're close enough with Denver. We know how good they've been the last few years. Obviously, I have my own personal ties that. You know, I, I'm not saying I don't get up a little bit more for those games. We play them every year, and I'm so glad we do. I mean, Coach Mathias does such a good job there, and they've got great kids there, and it's just a great um, challenge for us each year before Christmas to play them. And and we had them, um, and we were undefeated at the time. They had a good record. We're playing them at, at home. It's neck and neck, neck and neck, and we're up one trying to dribble it out with about ten seconds left. And and uh, and one of our best players gets gets the get, gets the ball turned over and they come down and um, they end up winning the game by, by one point. And I don't want to say the finals like 75, 74, 74, 73, but again, another one of those, like at the time, I think Denver was ranked number two in two a, it's just like, you know, nothing to hold your head about, but at the same time, it's just like you leave there and you've got so many positives you want to take from it. And, and I'm not lying when I tell the kids, like what a great learning experience I'm trying to hold my head up. high. It's one of those, like you get home or you get with just the coaches and you finally let your shoulders on. You're like, gosh, we let that one slip away, you know? So I think sometimes those are great games, but it doesn't mean being a competitive person. It doesn't hurt. Oh yeah. They, they hurt extra bad. Now on the, on the flip side of it, what's the ones outside of the district uh, wins? Those are, those are always sweet. 
what's the one you look back on? And you're like, that one was extra sweet. I'm I'm pretty happy that we won that one. Oh, oh gosh. Um <sighs> 1819, we took one. Um, we took one at Don Bosco, which I don't think we had much of a business winning a game there that year. And uh, that that felt really, really good. That was actually Coach Brungard's 100th win. And uh, the funny thing is I started feeling sick right before the game and kind of had really bad stomach pains throughout the game. But, you know, once the game starts, you don't even think about that stuff. Probably within a half hour after the game, Coach B starts getting stomach pains. Neither one of us are at school the next day. We went on a Tuesday night, probably arguably our biggest win of the year, and we both go home and have the stomach flu the entire night long. And, <laughs> and so then, of course, everybody thinks that we're out celebrating and, oh, you that kind of stomach flu, and you know. But, uh, no, it was uh, – I remember, and I think I want to say the courier at the time posted that it was Coach Koontz's 100th win, and it wasn't. It was Coach Brungard's 100th win. But <laughs> so I remember I got a bunch of texts from people like, "Oh, congratulations!" I was like, "Oh, well, thanks." That was like two years ago. I got that, but it's okay, you know. So, <laughs> but uh, but I remember like not even wanting to pick up my phone to respond. I was so miserable that next day. So we didn't get as much time to enjoy that one as what we wanted to. <laughs> but yeah, I remember I, literally because I think. For some reason that night we used one of your wrestling locker rooms there, and so the one of those dungeonless ones that's off the uh, off the baseline there. And I remember laying on one of those benches, just staring at the ceiling, like moaning before the game started, like during the girls' game. So <laughs> probably probably one of those post COVID where you should probably get the heck out of there. But you also know how hard it is as a coach to to not be there, as I'm sure you knew with your accident last year. You know that's got to be just so hard to not be there. You know, so yeah. yeah. Um, um, but I think, yeah. I think that one stands out. And then I think that our best win that we've had, certainly in my time at Dunkerton, um, back in 17, 18, the year that we were ranked in the top 10 in the state, we played Applington Parkersburg up at Upper Iowa in one of those Saturday shootouts in January. And at the time they were ranked, I think, second in 2A and they were 14 to no. That year they ended up getting third at state in 2A and and they had just been rolling everyone, you know, going into it where t- I was told by all these coaches, you know, they play this one, two, two extended, like good luck ever taking care of the ball against them. And they just had unbelievable players top to bottom. And somehow we went in there and we took it from them <laughs> in multiple overtimes. And that was, I still go back and watch that film from time to time. I mean, just to be able to beat, you know, get, to go against a coach like Aaron Thomas and win just a program like AP and for us to, and the, the nice thing is actually we had – that was on a Saturday. On Thursday night, we lost our very first game of the year. We lost to GR um, down at GR. And so we were – you know, at the time, we were like 14-0. and 0, And so then we go into AP two days later. And I, I don't think our kids were looking ahead too much, but it was just like – you know, and we actually played Friday night against, I think, Riceville or somebody. So we have this three-day gauntlet, three, three games in three days. All of a sudden, we're going to play AP, who's deeper than everyone, who traps everywhere on a college court and – we just told the kids, like, hey, you have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. And we went out there and just played unbelievable one. And I want to say it was triple overtime, if I remember right. And it was just – it was one of those games where, like, holy cow, like, guys, like, we can beat anyone in the state of Iowa. And yeah. that was – you know, you always remember those certain locker rooms that are just such fun celebratory locker rooms. I don't think it got much better than that afternoon because, <laughs> you know, that was – Outside of a playoff game, it was, it was tough to imagine, especially for a non-conference game, anything being more gratifying than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to end it by, uh, we talked about your, your time at or your, your at Denver, right. And how rough that mm-hmm. was. Um, if you had a message for a young coach and he's, he's kind of going through it, right. He's going through the same thing, or he just, he just left a, you know, he just resigned or maybe he even got let go. What would mm-hmm. your message to that person be? Oh, abs- I mean, <laughs> I, I think, I think now more than ever, 
our industry needs people who do it for the right reasons. And if you're somebody who's who pours your heart and soul into the kids, that you're somebody that kids can rely on, that you're about more than just winning basketball games and you know trying to leave a legacy on those kids, like you can't let one experience bring you down. Um, you know, I kind of equated like you know if you have a bad breakup, you you can't stop dating. You know, you can't stop. You know, if you lose a job, you can't stop trying to to further your career. You know, whatever it may be, you gotta. We talk to our kids all the time about having perseverance and, and dusting yourself off. You go and lose a game, guess what? You gotta be ready for the next one. And and tying it into our past season, you know, when we lost to Newman by 17 at Newman the last game of the year, you know, I think I don't think we win our district final game against them without having that experience first because our kids learned from it and our kids were mentally tough enough to take that and for us to break down every single mistake we made and to have us have one of the longest film sessions we've ever had of breaking down every mistake we made and how we're going to remedy it um, for our kids to sit there and take that coaching, you know, it, it said so much about our kids and the ability to get back up and go, go do it when it mattered, you know? And I think for any young coach, I would just tell them that you would expect that out of your kids. I mean, hopefully you're teaching kids to be resilient, to, to not give up when things get tough. And, and I would, I would hope that if you're in it for the right reasons and you have the passion for it, that you can, you can get yourself back up and you can keep going. And, and I think that the best way to do that is to find people in the profession who you can trust on, you can count on. Um, whether that, again, like, like I said earlier, whether that's people you work with or whether that's other coaches in the area, uh, you know, there's so many great organizations like IBCA and, and, and just people like getting together in your conferences and stuff. I just, I, I mean, we are, although we're all enemies for 32 minutes on a Tuesday night and a Friday night, there's no reason for us not all to embrace each other and share ideas and to count on each other because there's going to be enough critics out there. You know, I think that, I think the basketball coaches, you know, like I've said with officials, unfortunately might be, you know, I mean, it's it's going to be tougher and tougher to find people who are willing to, to put up with a lot of the stuff we have to put up with. And so I would just encourage anyone who, who still has a passion for it to, to not let failure drive you, you know, let, be afraid to make a mistake, be afraid to fail and, you know, find people you can count on and, and get right back out there and do it again, you know, because you know, in the end, it's not going to matter if you go 17 and, and four, if you go four and 17, it's going to be about the experiences you make and, uh, and, you know, I think that uh, we're all going to have times where we feel like we're on top of the world and we're all going to have times where we feel like we have no idea what we're doing and, and that's okay. You know, it's really is okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, I appreciate you doing this. Um, I, I can't, uh, I don't think I could have said much that much better myself. Um, I would wish you good luck this season, but I don't think you need any. So I'm going to keep it for <laughs> myself and uh, we will see you soon. And, and I won't, I, I planned to see uh, last season after my accident, I was going to be in a wheelchair and then uh, I had a surgery pop up, but um, this year I won't be in a wheelchair. So I look forward to stomping on the sideline with you again and we will see you soon. Thanks. Well, I am, I am, I am going to be more than excited to see you back on the sideline. So I, uh, I admire everything you're doing with these podcasts. I admire everything you do down there at Don Bosco. And uh, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of really good basketball that's played in small schools. And I, I, I hope people across the state can, can um, can appreciate that and and acknowledge the, 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 some of the work that's done at small schools as well. Yep, absolutely. Also, conference meeting has to be at some type of brewery again because the fact that I missed that for the first 
first in-person conference meeting that we've had since after COVID. I was pretty hurt about that. So that that is uh, that is a that is a no-brainer. You know, if I have a <laughs> if I have the ability to go get a, a plate of chicken wings and a cold drink, I'm going to take that over going to some high school science classroom any day. So <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and I am a, I am as much as possible a face-to-face kind of person. So I am. I, I think we should have about three of those throughout the year. I think it's a way to keep us sane. So <laughs> I, I agree. Well, as my three-year-old yells for me at the top of the stairs, and you probably heard his tantrum earlier. Um, I can't <laughs> thank you enough for doing this, and uh, we'll see you soon. Hey, thanks so much, Coach. We'll see you. Yep. There you go. Todd Koontz, Coach Koontz, head boys basketball coach at Dunkerton. Really great stuff. He made some really great points in there. Uh, very humble, even with the success that they've had and the success that they're going to have this year. Uh, watch out. I'm telling you, watch out. If you haven't seen them play, you you need to. I mean, they are fast. And I don't mean that like they have like insane athletes. They don't. They have they have good athletes. They don't they don't have these guys that like jump out of the gym or like nothing like that. Just all of them. All of them are always going hundred miles an hour. I mean, it it is it's it's something to watch. I mean, watch, not not play against, not coach against, because it is it's hectic for guys. Um Really enjoyed that. Really appreciate him doing that. Let me tell you something. If there's someone's story that you want to hear, I keep saying this, guys. I keep saying it, and I keep getting people reaching out, and they're like, hey, 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 who's, who's, or you should do this, or you should do this area, or you should do this area. If there's someone that you want, tell us. Look at us on Twitter or Facebook at HoopScoopPod, or give us an email at HoopScoopPodcast at gmail.com. Let us know who we should have on the show next, and I need you to remember, Just like always, nothing's changed. Nothing's ever going to change. You can get the scoop on all things hoop here on Hoop Scoop. One of the most stressful things in the world is planning a wedding. I'll never forget when me and my wife were planning our wedding, just how stressful it was, all the moving pieces that you have going on. The good news is now there's a solution. OurStressFreeWedding.com is the best place to find your vendors to organize all your thoughts. Visit OurStressFreeWedding.com to see how they can help you for your big day. Today, more than ever, players, coaches, trainers, and everyone in between are looking for great ways to showcase their talent, their camp, their program. That's where my friends at Era Sports come in. Era Sports is a content creation company that works with high school, college, and pro athletes to create the best media on the market. If you want to showcase your talent through photo, video or graphic design call era today era sports we are at the game